Tom, come up here. So many of you guys met Tom during the presence at one of our presence conferences, which are, uh, we do this every year. We host the presence conference. It's the second weekend of July, just to put that date on the calendar. It's one of the most fun things I've ever been a part of. But uh, Tom is one of our regular speakers at that. He's got his glory rag all ready, anointed and sweated on. So it's good. And so anyway, Tom is legit my best friend in the world. We are the odd couple. He has raised um, uh, wrestlers who went to audition for the Olympic team, uh, U.S. Olympic team. I mean, it's like, we are the odd couple. I love it. And so, but what we have in common, what drew our hearts together is a passion for the presence of God. And so I've been running with Tom for over, I think, close to 15 years or 17 years. We've been pursuing the Lord together and Wherever the Lord has taken us, we've stayed in very intentional, uh, intentional covenant, really covenant relationship together. And um, he's one of the most fun people I've ever met and also one of the deepest in the Lord and in the word, loving the word of God and loving the presence of Jesus. So it is an absolute honor and treat. We get to have Tom here with us today. So just I encourage you to receive him right now in the name of Jesus and I've given him carte blanche. His, my house is his house. I trust him with all of my heart. And um, so just be kind to us, though, Tom. That's all I ask. So let's stretch, stretch with your hands. Lord, thank you. Lord, we want more Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that the heavens, Lord, it is like Bert said, it is so thick. And here I pray for an increase of that thick, weighty presence, the kabod that holy, weighty presence. It's not just a good, good feel. It's God in our midst. And we were made to be touched by you. We weren't just made to get warm fuzzies. We were made to be fascinated and in awe of the Godhead. So Holy Spirit, open eyes and hearts today. We thank you for bringing Tom here today. We receive him in the name of Jesus. Thanks, Marvin. Good to be here with you again. I think I was here uh, after the uh, presence conference on Sunday. I spoke after Carol. Carolyn, remember Carolyn? She's got that body comedy. She like, she's. I love her. She's amazing. Well. A lot has gone by since last summer. I have been in the driest season of my life. I've heard Christians talk about this before. And I thought, oh, well, you know, the backsliders, that could never happen to me. Dry times, what are they talking about? And uh, But I've, I have been going through a dry time, and uh, I, I've got a lot of, lot of great things going on in my life. We have... Uh, 19 grandchildren, I think I told you guys about that, Louise and I, we have four children, three are producing really well. My littlest one, she's seen so many babies, I don't think she ever wants to have a baby in her, I don't, I'm, I'm serious, I don't know if she will ever have any children, but uh, I wanted to have a video, you know, I was asking my grandkids, you know, things have changed since we were uh, young. I'm not just going to start doing the man of God stuff yet, okay? So I'm just going to tell a story. But I was asking my grandson, he's 16, I said, you know, raised in a Christian home, I said, well, 16, I'm like, man, what is the most adventure you and your buddies have ever had so far? You know, 16. And he said, well... My dad dropped me and two of my friends off at the movies, and we got to go in and watch the movie all by ourselves. I was like, wow. It's pretty, it's pretty lame, man. I didn't say that, but I was like, wow. <laughs> and I asked my granddaughters from another family. They're like 14 and 15. I'm like, you know, what's the most adventure you guys have ever had? And they looked at me like, what's adventure? I, I said, have you guys ever even like walked around the block by yourself? 
They live a half a mile from my house. You know, and on my birthday, I asked their father if they could walk to my house, the two of them together, for my birthday present. No, too dangerous. Kids these days are just really clothed. But then I've got one son who lives on a farm, just moved to a farm, him and his kids. And I mean, those kids are wild. I mean, the kids are wrestling with pigs and riding goats and ch chasing bears through the woods. And I mean, they're just like a wholly different kind of kids. But anyway, I did have a video of uh, three of my grandsons at my daughter's house, my daughter Alyssa. I thought this would be funny to show you guys something from Texas. This is a new sport we're coming up with down in Texas for kids to get a little adventure and kind of invent toys and stuff, you know, invent their own stuff. So here's, here's two of my grandsons, and I want you to notice the little one kind of off in the corner as you watch this video. Watch, watch these guys go. Go ahead, Joey. The video's not real clear. I'm sorry, it's not real clear. Watch the little one. He's like... Am I doing that? Oh, you are. Hey, Zach, why don't you jump in there with them? <laughs> Boom, he gets knocked. Bam. He gets kicked in the head. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sorry the video is not that good, okay. <laughs> but you know, something about being the young, can you guys even see that? Okay, you can, you can stop it. <laughs> anyway, they were having fun. I'm sorry that was just off my cell phone, but... The point I wanted to make is this little kid, I'm kind of provoking him to get in there. Like, get in there, man, with your brothers, you know? So he jumps in there, he gets kicked in the head, and then he flips over and he runs in and gets knocked over again. And I'm like, have some fun, you guys, come on. All right, well, there you go. You guys with me? I was thinking by the time we were like four years old, we used to have this big quarry that was like down the street and over the railroad tracks. And they built these tracks up high so kids wouldn't go across them. But, you know, it was close to the neighborhood. Then you'd go on the other side of the tracks, over a fence, through this like little wooded area. And there was this big, it was like a big quarry. And they would dig for rocks and, and then they would hit these natural spring uh, and they would turn into ponds. And to us, that was like Six Flags. And I mean, we're like, we used to call it the pit. One time my, my oldest brother started a, uh, got in a crane, started the crane up and drove it right into the pond where it was sunk. He was about 14 when he did that. And uh, that crane sat there rusted out for all memory. I mean, when we were like four, you know, for years, I mean, everybody knew, hey, my brother, my brother drove that right into that thing, you know. And uh, so we would go there and play. I mean, how many of you guys have done stuff like that? And we would swim there. We'd bring our trunks and a towel. I mean, literally, that was like, that was like our trip to the park. And uh, we'd swim in there. We'd have our towel there to dry off, change our clothes. And as long as the guy in the red pickup truck didn't notice us, you know, but we always had a lookout. And I think I told you guys about this last time, but uh, about taking my little brother out to the middle. Did I tell you guys about that? I did. Marvin doesn't want to hear it again. So anyway, but we would, we would uh, go out there and climb up the conveyor belts and jump into the sand. And I mean, we did all that stuff when we were like four or five years old. And we learned how to, to have adventure. And, and you know, there, I'll just tell you this. And excuse me, I'm... Like I said, I'm a little dry, so I'm just, I'm priming the pump here. But I started at this church about 11, 12 years ago. Uh, they, they're about 2,000 member church, and we're starting a house of prayer. And the pastor gave me these three women. They were all my, my age or a little bit younger, all great gals and musical, you know, singers. And 
He asked me, he said, Tom, are you a rule keeper or a rule breaker? And I never really thought about it before then. Although you probably could guess. But anyway, he said, all three of these ladies are rule keepers and they will do this, they will do this exactly how you tell them to do it. They're all rule keepers. And I'm like, I'm like this, well, I just break the rules. And I, I mean, if the, if the light is red and it's red, it's red, it's red, and no cars are coming, I mean, I'm just, I'm not going to wait there until I get, you know. You know, if the light says, you know, no turn on red, but it doesn't say no U-turns, I'll make a U-turn there. You know what I mean? Uh, I will take stuff to the edge. I, I can't do our taxes for us. Louise doesn't let me, she doesn't let me write checks or, you know, talk to people on the phone about stuff because, you know, I'll, I just, I, you know, I get in too much, I get her in too much trouble. So she oversees all the, all the uh, stuff. And when she doesn't, then I really get in big trouble. I don't know where to go from there, except I want to tell you about, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you about two guys in the Bible. One guy God gave to be the law giver. Do you know who that was? Moses. Another guy he gave in the Bible to be a law breaker. But he was good. He was a good guy. This girl's looking at me like, you are crazy. God doesn't allow people to ever break the, the rules ever, right? Have you read Bob Sorge's book, Illegal Prayers? If you read Bob, and I didn't even read his book, but I heard him speak, tell, you know. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff in the Bible that the saints did that was, we don't even pay attention. Usually we just read the Bible like a narrative and we don't even think, Hey, wait a second, they're not supposed to do that, or why, why is he doing that? You know, doesn't God get mad at him? But there was one guy in the Bible that was a law giver, Moses, and then another guy in the Bible who was a rule breaker, and I'm going to tell you about him in just a minute, but I want to tell you about this thing. I know you guys have been studying about Zion, right? Have you guys been studying about Zion, Tabernacle of David, the priesthood? Okay. Uh, Zion is a term that first is mentioned in the Bible in 2 Samuel 5, 7, and it's about when David became king of all of Israel. The first thing he did was he conquered Zion. Zion was a place that, could ne that was never conquered by Joshua or anyone before him, and he finally conquered it, and then he brings the ark up to Zion. Do you guys know that story? And then he brings his priests, 4,000 priests uh, that played instruments and 288 skilled singers to sing and make music on Mount Zion. Do you guys know that? And they did this 24 hours a day for like 35 years. And God says about Zion is mentioned 165 times in the Bible from starting at 2 Samuel 5-7. 165 times the most passionate scriptures in the Bible are written about Zion. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You can look it up. The book of Psalms is all about Zion. They're either in Zion singing to the Lord or they're singing about Zion or they're telling about Zion. The prophets uh, from Isaiah, and Isaiah mentions Zion 55 times. The whole book of Isaiah is about Zion. Zion was this place of worship where God says it was the perfection of beauty. It was where God made his home. It was the place where he longed for. It was the place he desired, it says. He called it the mountain of the Lord in the city of God. It had all these names for it. It was God's holy mountain, the mountain of Zion, the place where the, place where the king dwelt. The king, not the big K, king. He still lives in Zion. Do you know that? And you know that the chief cornerstone, Jesus, 
is laid in Zion, it says in 1 Peter 2. It's the cornerstone that is laid in Zion that we are joined together to build this holy house in Zion. Zion is the place, really, of day and night worship, but God loves it so much that he names heaven Zion. This, I'm hoping this will stir one of, one of you or two of you to study this out, Tori, 165 times. My daughter Alyssa says the whole Bible is written about Zion. It's about God's desire to dwell with a group of people on the earth. And they dwell with him through this day and night worship. That's why I'm so excited. I am so excited about here. And I, I didn't come here. Marvin didn't call me like, hey, Tom, man, our, man, we're really dragging here. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do, man. Could you come and, like, stir us up, you know? He didn't call me for that. I called him. I said, Marvin, I'm really dry, man. I said, can I just come? Can I come and visit Zion for a few days and get some oil, you know? I didn't. I didn't come here to, to stir you guys up. I came here to get stirred up. Okay? I, you guys don't know what you have here. This is like rare on the earth, what you guys are doing. Just like Zion was rare. David established Zion and all these singers and musicians, and he had them for 35 years or so, 24 hours a day, until Solomon built the temple. You know, there's a lot of Solomons out there building great big works for God. But the first thing that Solomon did was he called the elders together and he said, hey, you know what? We got that ark over there on Zion and we're paying all these guys to sing day and night. Let's, why don't we take that ark and put it back behind the veil where it belongs and... Uh, you know, those singers, you know, they can find jobs doing something else. And he basically put the ark behind the veil. I love Solomon this much. When I read him in the Bible, he is my least favorite character. Some people revere Solomon for his wisdom, and he had a lot of worldly wisdom. He was very wise, but as far as, uh, I got to be careful. I'm not going any further. I'm offended with Solomon. Can I just say that? I'm a little offended with him for busting up what David did because he put the ark back behind the veil and then he went into idol worship and he married, what, 700 women and they all had different idols and he had to build idols for all of them and they, he turned the nation of Israel from this beautiful place that God said was the perfection of beauty into an idol-worshiping nation. Did you guys know that? And David's generations lasted from Solomon to his next son, and then the kingdom was divided thereafter. And they had this back and forth thing in the idolatry, and the prophets would come, and they would cry and moan and for Zion. It was like, look what we had. Look at who we were. Look at how far we've fallen from what from what God had given us through David. And they'd cry about it, and then they'd prophesy, this is what's coming. This is what's going to be restored. God is going to restore Zion. It's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be all over the earth. And you know what Zion really is? It's the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, in us to join together as a holy house to worship God. Zion is really a deposit of God in us to join together to worship God. And you know, mo most churches I've been in, and I've been, I've been a, I've been a consultant. I don't know if I consulted or I, I've shut down more churches than. I've told pastors to close this down. It's terrible. What you're doing is terrible. I mean, it's terrible. It's, 
I don't care that you have this building and all this stuff. It's like, golly, what are you doing to the name of God over here in the name of God? Please have mercy. <laughs> you know, they're raised in seminaries where they're never taught. There's not even a, a class on prayer. They come out of churches that are prayerless, go to seminaries that are prayerless, come out of there, and now they're going to start churches that are prayerless. I'm really serious about this. But the good news is God is, the prophets have prophesied. They foretold that uh, Zion would be the place that Jesus is going to come in response to the great trouble that's coming on the earth. He is the antidote. Zion is the antidote for the great trouble. I'm not going to talk about the trouble coming on earth because Marvin told me, please, Tom, don't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. No, he didn't. Marvin let me talk about whatever. But I want to keep you people happy because you're happy people and you're zip and you're going for it. You know what? When people are going after God and somebody's preaching like doom and gloom, don't let that stuff get on you. If your heart is going for God, why should you feel condemned? You know what I'm saying? But the church, much of the church in general, big C is asleep. But where we're going, where the, the church, listen, the time is coming soon. I mean, Donald Trump won't be president forever, guys. There's, there's a spirit in this country that, that is trying to shut down the church, shut down the voice. And there's going to come a dividing line. And it's only the people that, that do it because they really love Jesus and not for a paycheck or to be seen or any of those other reasons. And they're going to be the people that join together to worship and to pray and to call on the name of Jesus and establish his presence on the earth. That's where Jesus is going to release his power from to destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist. I could show you, if you read Revelation 13, all about the Antichrist, the last verses. And his number is 666. And then the very next verse says, And then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 with his name written on their foreheads. And they sang a new song. <laughs> That's the antidote to the Antichrist, is the presence of God on the earth releasing power on the earth through praise and worship. You hear me? Okay, I want to tell you now, I, how much, you never said what time I go to. Okay, I'm just going to go. I'm going. I'm feeling it now, Marcella. I'm feeling it. I got the holy handkerchief from Eddie. I'm feeling it. Jerry and Judy danced all over the place, man. We had, I'm feeling good. All right. So what I want to do, I want to give you the little, I want to just tell you about because when I'd hear about David and Zion, I used to think, man, what did David do? You know, how did he establish all this worship? How did David uh, establish, you know, what was he in the cave of Adullam with his 500 guys? And he said, okay, you guys, let's uh, get some, let's get some percussion over here. And you guys, let's, you know, do some strings, you know, let's make some strings and stuff. And I always wondered how that happened. And I and I began to study this out, and I realized that way before David started this thing, Samuel, the prophet, developed something. He, they, Samuel, the prophet, is the rule breaker I want to I introduce you to because this guy, he didn't know any better. He didn't know any better. And what I want to, I'm just going to lay my hand on 1 Samuel. I'm just putting my hand on that. I'm not going to read every verse to you. I just want you to trust me. You should all read 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, look at Samuel did more to, to deliver us at the end times, on the end of the age, a vision for worship and prayer than anyone else, even David. Do you know that Samuel wrote the book of Judges? The ark is not even mentioned in Judges. He also wrote the book of Ruth. 
Do you know that uh, Ruth and Boaz were the great-grandparents of David? Did you know that? Samuel wrote Ruth. He knew Jesse. He knew David's family in Bethlehem. Samuel, let's, let's go back a little bit. Going back, 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 back. Okay, does everyone know the story of Samuel? Everyone know the story of Hannah? Sammy, who's this girl you're with? Are you, I mean, your friend Rachel. Yeah, I remember you from last year. Okay, Rachel and Samuel, doesn't that sound like a good connection? Rachel and Samuel, Samuel and Rachel. Hmm. I don't know, Rachel. You're going to have to loosen up a little bit. I, I, I hope I'm not putting anything on you, bro, but sorry about that. Sorry, I just got distracted. I, sorry, I'm sorry. You're saying no? It's, Mama says no. Mama says no. Okay. Back up, Tom. Okay, sorry. I just saw you. I remember talking to you, and I thought, wow, is something going on there? Oh, I'm not prophesying or anything. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. Samuel. Okay. So does everyone know the story of Samuel's mother, Hannah? Hannah's like the world-class intercessor. What was she praying for? She was praying for a son. Do you remember the vow she made to God? If you give me a son, I will, I will give him to you for all the days of his life. And so what, what Hannah did was she got pregnant. She has a son. And her husband, tell, she says, I'm not going with you to the temple this year. I'm going to wait until the boy's weaned. She said, wait until he's weaned and then fulfill your vow. And so the boy is weaned. Now I got 19 grandkids. They're all weaned. The youngest is just a little over a year old. I mean, I bet they kept them on the breast probably till they were three or four maybe. But this kid, he's a... As long as they could. As long as they could. I don't know what the number was. But basically, when he's ready, his mother makes him a little tunic and takes him to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, to deliver him into the hands of Eli, whose two sons were wicked. I mean, wicked guys. God judged them and, and destroyed them because of their wickedness. But she brings him along with a bull. Could you see, Rachel... Rachel walking a bull, two-year-old bull up to, come on, honey. You know, you ever see the rodeo? <laughs> hey, simmer down, you, you know. She's bringing the bull. She brings some flour, and she brings a, a skin of wine. And this, this word skin of wine is a, is a word, if you look it up in the Hebrew, which I did and put on my computer this morning, which I didn't bring with me because I thought, I'm not going to do that. I got... I got plenty of notes. And Marvin said I should flow. So anyway, she brings a skin of wine, and one of the Hebrew uh, definitions describes this as a musical instrument. Um, some of the uh, descriptions is it could be a jug, it could be a bottle, it could be like a, you know, like a vase, a clay vase. That, you know, percussionists can go, you know, something, do something for me. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. But it was probably like a toy, it was probably like a toy for him. Strong's even says it was like a stringed instrument. So she brings this toy for him. So he's just a little kid, and what he does is he starts ministering with Eli. And Eli's got, remember, he's got these two wicked sons, but he's taking this kid under his wing as his right-hand man, and they start doing the night watch together. And it says that Samuel was getting old, and he would sleep in the holy place where the, candle, uh, the candlesticks were, the light was. But Samuel would sleep by the ark. He would, what would he do? This is what I'm talking about, breaking rules. This is when it started. What's your name? Jennifer. Do you have any children? Are they good kids? Oh, no. Any boys? Okay, I hope. I, I, Eli, okay. <laughs> oh. I'm not even going there. Anyway, 
like any little boy, most little boys, except probably her little boy probably wouldn't do this, but my boys would have done this. Samuel would tell him, look, or Eli would have told Samuel, look, thank you, Aunt Marvin. Look, we don't go behind that veil. Don't do it. The Ark of the Covenant's back there. The high priest is only supposed to go back there once a year and only with blood on the Day of Atonement. If you go back there, you will die because God is back there. And so I could see little Samuel pretending like he's sleeping. He waits for Eli to close his eyes and start with his snoring. One snore, two snores, three snores, he's out. He gets up and goes behind the veil, and he begins to sleep next to the ark. The ark is mentioned 35 times in the first six chapters of 1 Samuel. Samuel loved the ark like no one else in the Bible. Samuel was in love with the ark, and he would sleep by the ark, and God started speaking to him and giving him prophetic words when he was a little boy sleeping by the ark. See, if we stay in the presence of God, if we stay close to the ark, if we stay in this place, we're going to see visions. We're going to hear God's voice. We're going to have his provision. We're going to have his protection. Everything that we need and want is right here. It all comes from here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be attitude. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Okay? And so Samuel begins to sleep back there and then what happens is the wicked boys, they get in a war with the Philistines and they say they're losing the battle so these guys think they're, you know, they think they're something. So somewhere they heard the story of Joshua so they're, they're like, hey, let's bring the ark out from behind the veil, and let's just take it into the battle with us, and surely God will give us the victory against the Philistines. Does anyone know what happened? They get crushed. The two, the two sons of Eli are killed, and when Eli hears the noise, he falls off his chair, breaks his neck. He's dead. His, his daughter-in-law goes into labor, gives birth to a son. Do you remember what they named him? Ichabod, the glory has departed because the Philistines had captured the ark. And it has two chapters where it tells what happened with the ark in Philistine uh, camp. Now, who do you think, how do you think they knew all this, what was happening in the Philistine camp? How would, I mean, we read the Bible like it was just delivered by, you know, like these guys had angel spies that just went over there and came back and said this is what happened. Somebody would have had to tell them what was going on with the ark. Who loved the ark? Who, who slept by the ark? Who had this heart for God's presence? Likely is that Samuel followed the ark and was spying to see when are we and how, how can we get this ark back? How can we get the ark back to Israel? And so finally, the Philistines, they had enough, you know, plagues came on them, cancer, everything. They got rid of the ark, sent it back to a place called Carith jerim And for 20, it was 20 years before Israel started to call on the Lord. But Samuel was a priest, and he gathered the priests around Carith jerim and he began to minister. They didn't, have the, they didn't have the tabernacle. That was still in Shiloh. And they ministered around the tabernacle. And they began to minister with music and singing. And this music and singing became part of the culture of the priests of Israel. You follow me? And, and Samuel would make, he would do a circuit around Israel. And he would go into the different cities. And when he would come to a city, the fear of God would fall on that city. Samuel, the prophet's here. Ah. And these musicians would be playing and singing. How do, how do we know this? Because in 1 Samuel 10, when Samuel anoints Saul to be the, the king, 
he sends them on this little journey. He says, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to meet, you know, you're going to meet these guys that got some bread and a lamb, and you're going to meet these other guys, and then you're going to see this, this uh, group of prophets coming down the hill playing musical instruments. They're actually at the Philistine outpost. <laughs> this is where they were. Be like a bunch of intercessors going right to the gates of hell saying, all right, shut da, 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 da. that's basically what they were doing. They go right to the Philistine outpost, and they're like, you know, giving them the business. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, you know. They come down the hill, and they run into Samuel. They start, they're playing their instruments, and he just falls down and begins to saw. Saw. Thank you. I'm dyslexic, and I'm ADBC. So if I get things mixed up, I'm serious. Had a lot of trouble in school. Thought there were like three teachers up there all the time. Didn't know which one to watch. Always a little paranoid. I know she's out to get me. <laughs> what do I do now? Okay. So anyway, where was I? Saul. Saul lays on the ground and he's prophesying the whole day. Now it's funny. I'm going to share three encounters with you with these musicians and every one has to do with Saul, which is really interesting because Saul's the king of Israel. But even though he's the king of Israel, he's like a bad king. He starts out okay, but he's a bad king. And it's funny how these three stories I'm going to share are all with Saul. It's like God's using him to show us, say, this will even work on your king if you need, if you need it to. I'm just telling you. Okay, all right. So, so that happens in chapter 10. Well, Saul becomes the king. You know, he becomes rebellious. And after a while, Samuel's just like fed up with him. He's just fed up with him. And he finally goes to him and he says, look, God has left you and he has found a man who has a heart after him. He's found a man with a heart after God. That's who he's chosen. Samuel didn't even know who it was yet. And Samuel's whining to God all night. This is in the chapter 15. He's whining to God all night about it. And God says, hey, quit whining. Go to Jerusalem to the house, or go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. One of his sons is going to be king. You guys all know the story, how he goes through all the sons. So I'm not going to share that with you. But he anoints David and pours the oil on David. And what happens is the power of God come, it leaves Saul and comes on David. And what happens is an evil spirit comes on Saul and starts to torment him. And this is, I mean, you know, can you imagine that? You know, you're the, your boss. Maybe some of you have a boss like this. He's a little, you know, he's the boss. You wonder, how did he get to be the boss? This guy's unstable. He's crazy. He's always flying into rages. He's throwing things. He's, you know, doing unproductive things. So they talked to him and they said, hey, if we found him, if we found someone who could play the, play the guitar for you, plays music, that spirit would come off you and you'd get some freedom. And he's like, okay, okay, go find someone. They go, well, we know a guy. We know a guy. Now, I want to ask you guys, where did they find out about David? Because they knew a guy, David. How, how did they know about David? I mean, I'm just asking you guys to think, when we read the Bible, we don't think all the time like, oh, yeah, there's other stuff going on here. You know what I mean? David. How did David start to play the guitar? How do they start singing these songs? Chances are Samuel had been coming through Bethlehem with his worship teams, playing the instruments, and David was like, man, this is cool. And then they'd stop and have dinner, and David would go up to one of them and say, hey, man, where'd you get that cool guitar? Hey, how can I get one of those? And the guy says, hey, man, I got an old one back at the village. I'll, next time I come through, I'll bring it and drop it off with you. Really? Can you teach me how to play? But yeah, I'll teach you how to play. Am I spitting on you? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Eddie. 
Uh, but he's like, David starts to play the guitar and he starts to sing. And he, be, he becomes recognized for it. Here this guy's a shepherd. And somehow his, his singing and music is this good that it's attracting the assistance, assistance of the king. And they're like, they're going to get David now and bring him to come and minister to Saul. So every time an evil spirit would come on Saul, David would play and the spirit would leave. Usually. But David was still, I mean, he was, I mean, Saul was, he was jealous after a while because Saul, you know, sorry, David, you know, he kills the Philistine, he routs the Philistine army, they start singing songs about him. And what happens? Saul starts to realize this is the guy Samuel was telling me about who has the heart after God. He's going to take my place. And so he begins to persecute David. Remember that? And I just want to, I want to pick out one place in the Bible if you guys can go to, because uh, you, you probably know that part up till now. But David, now he's on the run from Saul. This is the first time he's on the run from Saul. This is the first time. And uh, this is in 1 Samuel 19, and uh, start at verse 18. And uh, I want you to keep in mind that Samuel at this time is the enemy of the king. Samuel the prophet is the enemy of the king. He's trying to stay as far away from this nut job as he can. Because he, he knows this guy's jealous, he's angry, he's power mad. I mean, he's really crazy, you know. So he's going to keep him and his guys away from him. Okay, so where does David go? Look at this, verse 18. Now I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, which the reason I bring this is because it's real skinny and fits in my Bible, and I, I don't, it's not so heavy to carry through the airport. Okay? All right, so David, verse 18, got away and went to Ramah to see Samuel. And he told him all that. Now, I want you to picture this. This is really happening. He says, I want you. He says, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Because here's Saul. Saul is throwing spears at David trying to kill him. I mean, literally trying to kill him. Okay. So he says, then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. This place, Naoth, Bible scholars believe was like a Bible college that Samuel ran where he trained priests to sing and make music to the Lord. If you read Bible com commentaries, they, it's not here in the Bible, but that's what Bible commentaries actually believe. Okay? This place at Naoth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. I know I've told this story several times uh, at different locations, so, but to me this is still one of the most amazing stories in the Bible, and this is what I want you guys, I want you guys to catch because this is going to be your reality in the coming days, okay? Now, right now, you're feeling the presence, and you're feeling the glory, and people are prophesying, and <clears throat> and I, and I want to tell you this, uh, our friend Marvin here, and this guy is a modern-day Samuel. I used to think he was a modern-day David, but he's a modern-day Samuel. I mean, because all the stuff that you're doing in here, and that a lot of you guys knew you could do that, you knew you could do it, right? But it wasn't until someone gathered you together and said, you got this gift, you got that gift, you got this gift, and, and started creating this environment, this, this Zion here in, the, in, the, in your midst. If you're missing these prayer meetings during the week, oh, my goodness, don't miss them. I'm going to be here this week. I, just, I said, man, I just want to go to the prayer meetings, Mark. Okay, so anyway... 
Here comes Saul. With he, he stayed home. He sends some troops to go get David, thinking this is going to be an easy job. Go get him. Bring him back. Okay. So uh, when the report reached reached Saul that David was at Naoth and Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel and all the other prophets prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. <laughs> you see that? I mean, I, I really, come on, you guys, I enjoy this passage. This is like, to me, this is like, uh, this is like a milkshake. This is so good. It's like, I don't want to. I don't want to rush through this. This is like, okay, so can you imagine your worship team's in here worshiping? You got a bunch of people, oh, glory to God. You're all crying and weeping, and here come the police or whatever. Can you ever picture a day in America where police would come and shut down a church, for instance? Can anyone ever picture that? And you guys are all in here worshiping, and they just come and just fall out on the floor, and they start worshiping with you. And then they get up and they go home and they go back to their boss and their boss saying, like, where's Marvin? Oh, man, we forgot to bring Marvin with us. Shoot, we got so caught up with the worship. Sorry, boss. Uh, he's like, what's wrong with you guys? I sent you on a job. Go do it. So what he does is he sends more troops. Verse 21, when Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. And I could see, I could see Mrs. Saul, you know, Sally, you know. All these guys are prophesying all day, and Mrs. Sally and some of the ladies and some of the men, they're like, oh, you guys are, you look so hungry, you know. Come on, we're gonna, we got a chicken dinner over here we're going to do, and dumplings and mm, gravy. It's going to be so good. And the, the men come and eat dinner, and then they, they go home, and they, Saul's like, where is David? Oh, man, that's right. Man, we started prophesying, and then we ate that chicken, and then that guy, Eddie, started blowing that shofar again, and Judy started dancing, waving them flags, and we fell over again, and golly, we forgot to get him. No, this really happened. This is in the Bible. When someone says it's in the Bible, this is what I'm talking about. It's right in here. <sighs> So Saul said to him, where is David? Come on. He demanded, like, where is David? <laughs> this is what you call a secret place, Tori. It's when David says, God, you're my rock and my refuge. You're my fortress. You're my high tower. You're my strong place. You're my defense. You're my fortified city. This is what David's talking about. See, David was there. He was there in the beginning days. He saw this thing before it exploded. This, the church, I'm telling you guys, in America is being pruned, pruned, pruned. And the big mega churches, I'm telling you what, they're going to be in for a surprise when they have to start paying all kinds of taxes and lose all their tax exemptions and all that stuff. I'm telling you, the church is being pruned, and God's going to rebuild his church, and it's going to look like this. It's going to look like an all-day prayer meeting because Jesus dwells in Zion. He dwells in Zion. He's coming to reign from Mount Zion. His power goes out from Zion. Salvation goes out from Zion. So this one and that one were born in Zion, it says. So look what happens next. Now I'm in, uh, it says, so he asks, where are they? They are at Naoth in Ramah, someone told him, verse 23. But on the way to Naoth, the Spirit of God came upon Saul. So Saul, the third time, Saul's like, man, let's just bring the whole army you know, let's just bring the whole army, man. We're not letting this guy slip by this time. And I'm going with you. We're going to, if you want the job done, right, send the boss, right? So he's like, I'm going to go too. You guys ever read this before? Some say yes. Yeah. Some are like, I don't know, Tom, where are we going? So 
so they go to Ramah. And someone says, he's at Naoth. So on the way to Naoth, the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And he too began to prophesy. He tore off his clothes and lay on the ground all day and night prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, what, is Saul a prophet too? And the guy, the king, he takes off all his clothes. He's laying on the ground. And the whole army's prophesying with him. The power of God is released through worship. It was released through worship when Joshua marched around the wall. And they shouted finally, gave the shout, blew the trumpets and shouted. It was released through worship when David cast out the demons. It was released from worship when Saul went down. It was released through Jehoshaphat. It was released during the time of Paul and Silas when they were in prison. And it's going to be released during our time right here. And, I mean, you can move this. You can move this. It can go to Marvin's living room or it can go over to Eddie's house for a while. You know, I mean... It's like Obed-Edom. As long as, as, long as Obed-Edom, you got someone who really loves the ark. Who loves the ark? Who's, any Obed-Edoms in the house? Um, how many Obed-Edoms? One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, man, you messed me up there, Marvin. Don't be doing that. Okay. So, so here's my point. Do you guys get my point here? What I'm trying to say is God loves what you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep talking nice about each other. Keep blessing each other. Keep encouraging one another. Keep lifting each other up. If you hear somebody gossiping about somebody, say, no, man, let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Let's bring them back into the flock. Be merciful to one another. Be kind to one another. Do you know that blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The more mercy you pour out, the more you get. Do you want God's mercy on your life? Then give mercy, give mercy, give mercy. If that's one thing I'm learning in these days is, man, be merciful. Pour out mercy, and you'll get more mercy. Okay, I want the rivers of mercy flowing from my heart. I know you want the rivers of mercy flowing out of this place to the community, all around, into the nations. Okay? Amen? Hallelujah. Let's, I, 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 don't know how to, I don't know how to close this, but let's just take a look at that. Let's take a look at one passage in Hebrews 12, 22. Because some of you guys might think, man, that's Old Testament stuff. I already mentioned the verse in First uh, Peter 2, but let's look at... Uh, Hebrews 12. <clears throat> what a nice touch. <laughs> See what I mean? It's just like, whoosh. I'm so happy. I'm so glad I'm here. I could turn around and go home right now, and I already got what I came for. Amen. You guys are blessed. Isn't that different than hearing you're blessed because you're going door to door preaching the gospel or you're <clears throat> giving away all your money, although those are good things to do, or you're healing all the sick, those are good things to do. But before any of that comes, man, build this well. Remember the well in the, the Gospel of John? <clears throat> Was it at Bethsaida? Is that where it was? Where the angel would stir up the water and then the crippled people would get healed? That's the kind of well you're building right here. Where sick people are going to be coming in here, getting touched by God. I'm sure it's happening already to some extent, but I want you guys to stir your faith. <laughs> okay, in Hebrews 12... Uh, I believe Paul wrote this Hebrews and I believe the name the reason his name's not on it is because the Jews didn't like Paul 
if, Paul, if they would have saw Paul's name on it, they wouldn't read it. But this was written to the Hebrews. And uh, he's saying, let me find it. In verse 18, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, and gloom. He's talking about Exodus chapter 19 where God said, I'm going to come down and visit you. And all the people said, we don't want to hear your voice. Let Moses hear your voice and we'll listen to him. Remember that big lie they told that day? <clears throat> it's, so he says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did on Mount Sinai when God gave them the law. They were, they, for they heard an awful, awesome trumpet blast and a voice with a message so terrible they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight, he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have not come to that mountain. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge of all people. And you have come to the spirits of the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, with the sprinkled blood, which graciously forgives, instead of crying out for vengeance, as the blood of Abel did. As we come to worship, we are joining with all the saints and angels in the universe, all the saints who've gone before. You know, that's one thing the Catholics have a little bit of a, I'm not saying completely, because you're not supposed to try to talk to those guys. <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you. We don't pray to them, but we, when we come, we are joined with them at the table around the Lord. We are joined with all the Chinese that have been martyred. We're, we're joined with all those who have been martyred over the ages. All the saints, your parents that are deceased and love the Lord, we're, they're all there worshiping together. We've come to the living God, to this great assembly, okay? We've come to this place of mercy, all right? And this is where the power of God and the presence of God, and the greatness, the glory, the love, the kindness, and tenderheartedness of the God is poured out on his people. Amen. Let's just, uh, let's pray. Why don't we put our hands on our hearts? Usually I, in our uh, school of prayer, I take like four to six weeks to teach all that. I try to cram it all in there for you and stay you know keep you guys relaxed at the same time but let's just ask the Lord to stir up a vision for Zion would that be okay could we ask the Lord Lord give me a fire for Zion you know when we say God what I want to care about what God cares about you know what he cares about it says in Zechariah his heart burns for Zion God, give us a burning heart for your presence on earth to, to be with a people, a people like Samuel's priests, a people like David's priests, a people who are so connected to you, Lord, that they surrender themselves to your presence to day and night worship. God, let us burn with the same fire you burn with, Lord, for day and night, 
worship and prayer that the nations will hear your voice and be saved. In Jesus' name. Just as we transition, if we could have some from the uh, prayer ministry team come forward, just a few couples up here. So if anyone's sick in your body and you would like prayer, if you, uh, any amount of oppression, anything body, soul, spirit you would like uh, prayer for, we just want to take time to minister to you. If you need to go, you're officially dismissed. And um, actually, Tom, we're going to bring you up here and have a group just pray, pray for you because we want you just saturated this week. Where's Jonathan? Because Jonathan had a word of knowledge about it. Come up here, Jonathan. And just if we could get 10 people up here just praying, laying hands on Tom, that would be amazing. Amen. So anyone needs prayer for anything, come up to one of these people standing up here. Anyone wants to pray with Tom? If you guys need to go, amen, you're dismissed. You can fellowship, hang out. We love you. God bless you.